Right, just before I let you know what's coming up on the show, I've got a joke for you, Rich. All right. Why did the chicken cross the playground? Uh, no idea. He wanted to get to the other slide. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> uh, Rich, what do you reckon? Should we go back to Southern Sayings? <laughs> so, uh, I like uh, that. Podcast 60 from the Wiggly Sofa and I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers and I'm joined today by Richard from Wiggly Wigglers and I'm Farmer Phil. Excellent. Anyway, I recorded an interview with Neil Foley, also known as Podchef, across the pond and that will be coming up shortly in a few weeks and he talks about how he uses Bokashi and how he farms and gardens and how he uses his produce on his island Excellent. in Washington. Was he a good bloke to talk to? Yeah, he was really good. But I thought because he was of Irish descent, he would have an Irish accent, but he didn't. He was American. (laughs) (laughs) They did move over a long time ago, didn't they? (laughs) Feedback from Simon Sherlock to Rach. He says, a few weeks ago, Rach, I emailed to say my Bokashi bin was making me feel sick because it had that pit of your stomach sickness. Excellent usually caused by being a poor farmer's son and having to fork silage at 5.30am on a cold winter's morning. You very kindly rang and spoke to my wife with the suggestion of adding an extra handful of Bokashi to the bin every time I added stuff. I thought I should let you know that it works a treat and we're both very grateful. Me, because it no longer makes me feel sick when I add it (laughs) (laughs) and empty it. And my wife, because the kitchen now smells so much better. So cheers especially for taking the trouble to ring, even if I was out. That's his first bit of feedback. And then there's a second story, which is to us. Hi, Wiggly Podcast team. While listening to Podcast 58, I was really interested in how Bokashi keeps rats and mice away. And I wondered whether it would keep the neighbours BTBs away. It's another one of those. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that is standing for? Uh, Bloody... (laughs) Tom Baker. <laughs> uh, BTV. No, no, Phil. Big Troublesome Boys. It's good. <laughs> Big Troublesome Boys. <laughs> no, it's, it's, this is ridiculous, but it's bird torturing bird. Excellent. No. And Pussycat. No, no, excellent. Oh, another man after one. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that. Yeah. He wondered if it would keep the neighbour's bird torturing b- b- away if I place it under the bird table. I was a little disheartened when Richard mentioned that his dogs dug it up. But if you could find an animal-friendly way of keeping cats out of the gardens and off the borders, you realise that you will become very, very rich. Oh, absolutely. Cheers, Simon. Yeah, he's completely right. We've talked no, about this before. No, he's not right. We? We've talked about this before. He is. Uh, <laughs> cats are a nightmare, and they really are. You know, you just have this pet that you consider to be perfectly reasonable to let out, and they go and <laughs> in someone's garden, kill their birds. I mean, you know, it's astonishingly grim, really. And especially, you know, in our society, we're all getting closer and closer together. I wouldn't let my dog go run around my neighbour's garden and kill everything in sight. 
you just don't do it, do you? But it's perfectly reasonable for an owner to let a cat do it. Right. Because it's not, is it? It's not. So, yeah, but no, I mean... I, I no, no, <laughs> whoa, just stop. Just one doggone <laughs> cotton-picking minute. <laughs> You've missed that a few salient points there. Yeah. First of all, yeah. if a cat poos in your garden, mm-hmm. that's fertilising it. So just move on. No, it's not. It doesn't though. matter. It There's doesn't all matter. sorts of nasties in cat feces. Oh, in his border. It's his flower border. Yeah, it's but not you've got going to get to in there it. and weed it. No, no, it's grim. Honestly, honestly, have I know you like Noah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. I love him. You love him. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, he is a nice chap. For sure, I think there's a bit of a know. rant going on here, <laughs> team. <laughs> but I mean, I suppose we're getting off the subject a bit. But I mean, if we could find something to keep cats out of people's gardens, that would be ideal. We've tried things, haven't we? We've tried little sonic emitters. Yeah, yeah, that, we tried that, that, and we sent them out to our customers. Supposedly, to try. Uh, keep cats away, and they. But I think in an instance where you don't have dominant cats, that's fine. But it seems to be that if you have cats, that that's their particular territory. So chances are, his neighbour's cat is going to consider his garden to be its territory also. So. They don't really work, and and you can get things. You know, gamekeepers fill. They use a, a really smelly, like a, a kind of it's almost like a bitumen-based stuff that you you soak onto rags, old hessian sacks, put around the pheasant pens to try and keep the foxes away. The, the trouble is that realistically, anything that is going to be smelly enough and unpleasant enough to keep a cat away isn't going to be really That's what you de- want in the garden. <laughs> That's the trouble. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. there are sort of. Tales you've heard of, of people using lion muck from the zoo and things like this. Well, you know, this isn't what you have in your garden. Just live yeah. with the cat. And look at the irony of this, right? He says, uh, well, I'm interested in how Bukashi keeps rats and mice away. Yeah. Um, just a minute. You need a cat. Yeah. Cats keep rats and mice away. Yeah, but but my cat does. Cats are uh, cats are okay for killing mice, but they're they're usually pretty crap at killing rats. Because they're cowards, essentially, cats. So they're not, you know, they're fairly... Telling <laughs> the story of the I fox I think, cat. Ricardo, that you, you have um, <laughs> lost the plot slightly. Since I know Noah has killed at least yeah. two foxes in his time, yeah. rats are of no consequence to him. But the, the real point is that in answer to the feedback, that sadly I don't think Bakashi has any deterrent effect on cats at all. No. I don't know why it has a deterrent effect on rats and mice, but I know that it does, which is a, a handy thing to know. Yeah. Um, but I suppose there is the thinking that if the rats and mice are deterred, they won't be there for the cat to chase. So I don't know. I mean, you know, you can go around it all the way. Like companion like. planting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, well, you know. Oh, so dear me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the well. I do know what the answer is, but unfortunately, it's very antisocial, and uh, I couldn't possibly <laughs> say what the answer is. The answer is quite the obviously yeah. much more about balance. So that if the birds are plentiful and healthy, then if the cat takes a few out then the consequences are not no so way no Phil no there's no, there's no of course that is any right. bird lost to a cat is bad news I'll tell you what one of my old neighbours lovely lovely old woman Mrs English she used to have one of those high powered water pistols you know, like a big you know, <laughs> oh, no. like yeah. water pistol rifle really and she used to she used to go out there waddling around I mean this is this is the injustice of the whole thing this is you know these cats were driving this poor beautiful old person insane so she used to waddle out of her thing and 
blast the cats with a, with a jet of water. And that used to send them scurrying off. What can you do at night? You know, what can you do at night when the cat is indiscriminately murdering all the lovely creatures in your garden? I mean, what, you know, what do you do? What is the answer? So are you seriously telling me that you wouldn't feed your birds because somebody else had a cat? That is ridiculous. Uh, no, no. Oh, no, I wouldn't necessarily. I wouldn't feed the birds in my garden if I had a cat. I wouldn't Why? Try, I wouldn't try and encourage the birds into my garden only to only to predispose them to... It's been proven. Unnecessary torture. Oh, when that's you ridiculous. If you look at the balance, <laughs> the weekly bird at night. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. When, do we, when, did, when I say, did you last see a bird be caught by a cat at night? Not at, not at night. You just but, said that yeah, the cat yeah, but was there are, there are other things that come out at night. There are lovely little yellow-necked mice and, and bank voles and wood mice and all these beautiful mice. little creatures. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they've got a place, haven't they? Yeah, and, so, and the thing is, though, are you seriously saying that the Wiggly Garden is incorrect for feeding birds when we have one cat? No. Because you are wrong uh, about but that. We, we have, uh, but what you're forgetting here is we have the luxury of space here. The topography is spread out. The birds have got access to really good vision. So they're able to see psychotic Noah coming from a distance. So we can afford to feed the birds here, which we do, like millions of tons of feed every week. <laughs> we do. But that's fine. But what, in lots of instances, what people have, they don't have that luxury of space, so they have small quadrants of garden. And to have someone else's pet come in and completely adulterise their personal space... Is, I've got this vision of these poor elderly people <laughs> stalking it, their terrible. gardens with their super soakers. It's like... <laughs> Vietnam of cat land. I said this, you know, when, uh, when, when Rachel and I were doing our podcast, I talk, we talked a little bit about cats skipped over the cats. This is absolute but the, rubbish. Uh, but Chris, Bill Chris Packham... Oddie. Chris no, Packham, no, don't hold uh, my hand. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> Chris Packham was... Uh, he, he had... When he talked about how much he hated cats many, many years ago, now a long, long time ago, to a TV presenter, uh, not as he hated cats, but how much he thought cats were destructive in many aspects... He had lots of hate mail. People were, you know, cat owners were writing in and saying they were going to chop his arms and legs off and all sorts of things. Bill Aldi said that there is no excuse for not feeding your birds if you have a cat. <laughs> and I agree with him because the point is that if you provide more food and therefore you give those little fledgling birds more of a chance, mm-hmm. then the balance is better than not feeding them at all. You know, the idea that you shouldn't feed birds because a cat might get one is just ridiculous. Ridiculous, in I my think opinion. Just yeah, but that's not what the guy's asking anyway, is it? He's, he's you just... said that. Okay, a classic example is someone at one of our open days last year, she, she came up and she said, oh, I've got a cat, it's a real killer, it tries to kill everything that comes into the garden, but I really want to feed the birds. I thought, well, really, in all honesty, if your cat... Because they do have slightly different personalities. Some aren't quite as murderous as others. But the, uh, the, the situation she was in is she really was hell-bent on encouraging birds into the garden and literally, uh, you know, I, I can only reiterate that she was predisposing those birds to, to an unfortunate set of circumstances. So, yeah, she was providing peanuts, but she was also providing them with, with, with an immediate end to their lovely little lives. I've just got one thing to add to this <laughs> by way of example, that in northeast Scotland, I think it was, they had a very rare occurrence, a red-breasted swallow turned up, blown off course from Europe. Yeah, yeah, and all the twitchers were watching this bird. It was <laughs> 25 years since they saw the last one. And in front of their eyes, down came the sparrowhawk, thump, no more swallow. Yeah. And they all looked at each other and said, oh, it's gone. So on that basis, are you out for sparrowhawks?
No, but Sparrowhawks are indigenous, Phil. They have a place in our But in our whether ecology. you call them indigenous cats or don't. not, pet cats, cats are, have you know, If benefits. you say to someone about a cat, they say, oh, you know, cats are... So it's nature. But of course, it's not nature. The cats wouldn't be roaming about if it weren't for us. Richard, if for you are going you to crack your little Felix packet <laughs> open at night, come on, little pussy cat, come in here and get your... This will build your strength up to go out and slaughter <laughs> some more innocent little creatures. <laughs> it's conservation gone mad. You're trying to pick a time, you know, which species is indigenous and which isn't right and cats bring people humans mega mega pleasure and the idea that you are some sort of criminal for having a cat just because it may at some point kill and how many tiny amount i bet you of birds compared to the benefits of actually feeding them it's just outrageous no You've got a it's dog. Not, You've no, got a dog. Got and a, a dog. dog is not an indigenous species. But it doesn't and go dog, out and I don't let it go up in someone else's garden. Your dog kills rabbits. Oh, have, my dog's got a totally murderous nature. But the point is, I don't let it kill things out of my control. That's the point. I don't indiscriminately open the door and let it wander across the countryside and other people's property and lots of different potentially threatened habitat when I was to, sipping, to indiscriminately kill stuff. When I was sipping my ma- wine at your lovely abode in the summer, yeah. your dog terrorised three <laughs> passerby ramblers ah. by roofing at them <laughs> at the gate That's and fine. they were frightened out of their wits. Yeah. So you've caused those people stress and hassle. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. They didn't lose their lives, did they? They weren't there twittering and singing their little hearts out, their little tiny pumping hearts for the pleasure of all, only to be mauled to death by someone's fat Felix. <laughs> Uh, the idea that it is okay for you to own a non-indigenous Your hair looks really nice pet. like that. <laughs> the idea that it's okay for you to own a non-indigenous pet yeah. and that I mustn't, my Noah... Uh, no, I'm not saying you mustn't. I, there are lots of things you can do with cats. You can pull their claws out. <laughs> you can kick them into cages. You can be a house cat. There are lots of things you could do with them. I've seen cats, you know, with runs outside. They can go around in their run, but what they can't do is escape and cause other people unnecessary misery. My cat is part of the farm. My cat <laughs> controls vermin. My cat brings me lots of pleasure, and other cats do, and you're not weighing that into the equation. Uh, but there are lots On of things go. that bring you lots of pleasure. <laughs> me, for instance. <laughs> I know Farmer Film brings you untold pleasures. The Weedy Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. A small aside, I was at the podcast conference on Saturday and I was on the panel. And I just want to prove to you that I do speak a lot of sense by playing you my blog. Here we go. Hi, it was good to hear you and your contribution to PodcastCon 2006 yesterday. And it was nice to hear from someone speaking about the business side of things and podcasting, but actually making a bit of sense and actually having a degree of success at it. So congratulations, well done, and hope to see you at next year's PodcastCon. Obviously caught you on a good day then, have you <laughs> <making> sense? <laughs> See, this is the lack of respect I get from you. See, that was Mark from the Tartan podcast. And although I'm not really into music, I listen to his show and it's really nice. He kind of picks new bands in Scotland and he kind of plays them. I showed you it, didn't I? You used to like 
the Bay City Rollers. They were a Scottish band, you liked, <laughs> weren't they? Well, they were very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael's fell off his chair. <laughs> no, but what I really want to say was, we're getting a bit of oomph for this podcast because I've now been invited to go and share in a stakeholder discussion with the Minister of Agriculture... David, David Miliband. Miliband. And it's on One Planet Farming. And they've invited us for our contribution. Right. So I shall go along and see how that goes. Right. And if you want to see what he's on about with regard to One Planet Farming, I've put a link in my blog on these show notes. So podcast 60 show notes. Go to wigglywigglers.blogspot.com. And on the subject of communication, the farm phone's in. You can leave a message on the farm phone for inclusion in this podcast. Obviously, if you make it 20 minutes long, Richard will ban you from coming on because he (laughs) has to waffle for a good 20 minutes. So good, short, quick comments. No longer than three minutes would be just the jolly job. And you phone, if you're overseas, plus 44-1981-500-930. And if you're in the UK, 01981-500-930. And you'll hear me saying, please leave a message for the podcast. Excellent. So that would be great. Mm. And we've got Greg Fowler coming up, who's your bank manager, <laughs> Phil. He is. <laughs> Very good friend of mine right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's always inquiring after my health. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because he wrote me a note about life insurance and how we needed extra cover. <laughs> did really really yeah Um, so he's coming up shortly and i can't wait to hear it because it was at phil's annual review to see how the farm is doing (laughs) but i just wanted to have a quick chat with you about energy crops because i know phil's got some views and richard's got some views and there was a wonderful letter which you can get to on the farmers weekly website it was in the farmers weekly but i doubt most of you will have that but if you go to www.fwi.co.uk the letters up there from james wallace in cambridgeshire and he talks about energy crops and this and that I think energy is the topic of the moment and it's going to get more so that oil is running out at a rapid rate of knots and therefore alternative or so-called alternative energy sources are going to have to be taken advantage of and one of them is obviously growing energy crops. But of course in a world where food is becoming scarcer, if you like, on, on a global scale, every piece of land that is taken out to grow energy crops therefore isn't growing crops for food. And I think that those two factors will will increase the pressure on productive farmland. Yeah. In, in many respects, it could be the downfall of biodiversity, couldn't it? Well, there is a danger because, of course, we, uh, in my capacity as a member and committee member of FWAG, the thought is that pressure on land immediately, the first land that is put under pressure is land set aside for environmental strips and even whole fields put aside for environmental purposes, you know, pressure on land will raise commodity prices and the pressure will then be to plough these fields back up. Yeah. And so that, that will be an issue, I think. I've spoken to one or two people who have said, oh, well, I've got X acres of environmental strips, which if the price of wheat goes above a certain figure, we'll plough them straight up again because we'll make more money out of that than we will out of the uh, government payments for the strips. Yeah. So that there, is a, there are issues that are going to be raised by this. What are these energy crops? Because I can't quite imagine them. Well, there are all sorts. I'm learning a lot about this right now, but the ones that, the obvious one is oilseed rape because you can crush the oil and refine it to make a diesel substitute. 
and then there's the ones that you can burn them as biomass to produce heat. But there is a a process where you ferment or or digest organic matter of any sort and put it through a factory process and it uses its own energy to drive the factory and comes out with fuel at the other end in the form of a biodiesel. And that, I think, is going to be the flexible way of producing fuel from everything from cow milk to chopped up willow trees. But all that resource requires land, so it doesn't matter whether it's from animals or crops or whatever, it will be land that produces it. And land producing material for energy is land not producing food. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we, we're in this, we've just been thrown into a situation now where we've had the Stern report that's looking at the economics of climate change, really. And I think in many respects that's a government tack because what they, the last thing government want to do is create all sorts of problems through frightening people that, that with the reality that our fossil fuels are going to run out and we are in desperate need for alternatives. There are a couple of different views. A pessimistic view is that we are going to reach peak oil in the next couple of years. And the optimists are thinking that we can reach peak oil in 20 years. Now, if it's in the next 20 years, then the chances are we can work up enough renewable energy sources in that time to replace our reliance on fossil fuels. But of course, if it's in the short term, then we're really going to struggle. Um, And also, I think that it's relevant. I I saw a statistic somewhere that said by 1973, we'd used half the planet's oil reserves. And given that we are using the easy ones to get out Mm -hmm. first, this reliance on potential oil reserves that may be extremely difficult to get out or may be very detrimental to the environment that they come from, like the tar sands and so on, even if you ignore the possibility of global warming, which is arguable, and the availability of water, the increased food requirement of the planet is there. People are getting wealthier mm. in under, underdeveloped countries. They're wanting to buy more food. Somebody's got to produce it. Yeah. Far be yeah. it from me to criticise on your global views, but I want to know about the nitty-gritty. What crop do you plant? How do you get it? And is the energy that's used actually growing that crop more than the crop that you produce? In Herefordshire, there's quite a, a good start in energy crops. We've got John Amos pioneering the planting of miscanthus, which is a big biomass plant which grows to about eight foot tall. On the face of it, there isn't an obvious environmental detriment to it, but there doesn't seem to be much benefit either. But it's a very efficient way of producing material to burn for heat. Miscanthus does have an environmental detriment, doesn't it? It spreads all over the place. and It's all over the place. Well, it, I mean, one of the major problems, going back to the, the fact that we're going to lose all sorts of biodiversity, is that you need such massive tracts of land to plant a single species. That's so right. So it's monoculture to the extreme. I mean, potentially it's monoculture. The implications are so much greater than the, the problems associated with the existing monoculture that we have now with wheat, um, oil I think there, there are many, many issues, but to me, the best compromise is to use our waste products much more effectively and to think more in terms of local energy production so using waste products or straw from a a wheat crop to heat a village or a a business site or something you know or or just a single house it's much more efficient power stations are inefficient things by and large yeah and on a smaller scale, it's more efficient, and that must be the way to go. Absolutely. I mean, why, why aren't developers being encouraged? I mean, I suppose they are being encouraged, but you see, at the moment, the profit, the margins are just the be-all and end-all to a developer's determination to, to complete their site. The, the, the fact is that if, we, if all properties had 
photovoltaic solar panels, even wind-propelled B&Q specials, that absolutely better than nothing. You know, that would make such a massive difference to the, this country. You two won't stick on my point, because what I'm trying to share with you is the key point from James Wallace's letter, which is that energy crops aren't actually new at all. If you go back a century, 40% of arable production in the UK was for biofuels. Mm. That was in the form of hay and oats for horse feed. Right. And the difference between then and now is that the requirement for more food basically made the horse inefficient, and so we went to tractors and so on, and we've turned that land over to production of food, and now we're going to have to start to think in terms of turning some back. The food requirement hasn't gone down, hence the pressure. History repeats. There'll be more to talk about on this subject, I'm sure. If you want to comment, phone the farm phone or... Leave a message on my blog or my chingo or email Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk. Shouldn't you have a farmer fill address by now? I suppose I could have a farmer fill. <laughs> that's a lot more letters to type, and my typing's not up to much. <sighs> well, we would go now to hear about Garvey's meeting with his bank manager, Greg Fowler, but because You've gone on about my innocent, beautiful, chocolate, Burmese pussy cat, <laughs> whom I love. Yeah, there's one word in there that is completely inappropriate. Uh, what is that? Innocent. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I think we should cut that bit out and go to the bank manager, because you're outrageous with your views on cats, but no matter. <laughs> <laughs> did you see my blog in which Podchef picked the top five Wiggly podcasts? I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, just for those of you who haven't seen it, number one podcast was The Hedgerow Row. Right. He picks topics because he likes the way they come yeah, back yeah. to each other. Number two was The Supermarket Row with Dick, remember? Yeah, that was good. Number three was In the Cowshed at Night. Number four was Bukashi, NEM. And number five was Pheasant Shooting. And then he came back and said that last week's show, which was the one about luck money and sheep and... I still haven't listened to that, you know, yet. Ah, well, he puts that one in the top five. So if you've missed podcast number 58, then have a listen in. And so from this week's Wiggly Sofa, obviously the cat's not in here. Otherwise, it would be so upset. I am sure it would scratch Richard's eyes out. (laughs) So it's goodbye from Toast. Goodbye from Farmer Phil. Goodbye from me, Heather. And it's goodbye from me. That's Richard. So awkward, isn't he? It's very good. (laughs) Yeah, I love him. It's like having a little boy. (laughs) It's just intent on being... We have to give him lines. Naughty. (laughs) Naughty, naughty, naughty boy. I, Richard, will be be a good boy. I shall conform. (laughs) I like that. Can I have that in writing? (laughs) A thousand times.